Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is DJ Martin. I'm the church pastor here at Parker Ford Church. Welcome to our ongoing midweek teaching series, which we're doing in collaboration with Daybreak Church and North Point uh, Community Church. And you've, uh, if you've been tracking with us, you've heard from myself as well as uh, some of the leaders of uh, Daybreak and North Point along the way. And over the course of the last couple months, each week, we've been talking about the character of God. The first half of the series, we covered character traits of God. And in the second half of the series, based on those character traits, we've been looking at how God acts in the world. And we're about to wrap up this series. And in the coming weeks, we'll be starting a new series. Um, and so we're, we're wrapping up this uh, journey that's uh, taken us the last couple of months. Today, we are talking about um, God relating to us. He relates uh, based on his love, based on his nearness, his imminence, based on his righteousness and his desire for justice. Uh, God relates, and specifically what I want to look at today is that he relates to us even in the level of grief. He weeps. And so what does it mean to relate to God as he relates to us? There's a famous story we're going to look at in John chapter 11 of Jesus weeping over his friend. And I want to bring us to a place of uh, contemplating on what it means to have a God who relates to us on that level. So the big idea for today is this, that the Lord has always desired an interactive relationship with his creation. In Genesis 2, we read that the Lord walked in the cool of the garden with Adam and Eve. This example right at the beginning of the Bible is just the smallest foretaste, a tiny foretaste of the level of connection and intimacy and communion that God desires with humanity. The incarnation, Jesus becoming a man, God taking on flesh, the incarnation is the ultimate exclamation point on this idea. Jesus not only took on human flesh, he can relate to us in every way, as it says in the book of Hebrews, even in our sorrow. God relates. He weeps. So I want to think about the compassion of God towards you and towards me. And I want to move us to a place of really um, soaking in that today and receiving from it. And then also the invitation to do likewise for other people. Um, all of us have gone through really difficult seasons and difficult times in life. Um, just like all of us have gone through seasons of rejoicing and celebration, good times. And when we're in a season of grief, when we're in a season of pain, for me and for the vast majority of people that I talk to and, and hear their stories, the thing that is the most healing when we're in a personal season of pain or grief or suffering is having close friends who don't try to cover it over, who don't try to make it seem better than it is but friends who are able to enter into that grief with us, humbly to sit with us quietly, maybe to cry with us. Uh, that's the ultimate form of healing or, or laugh with us when we need a laugh. You know, when you're in a, you know, when you're in a really tough season and all of a sudden you can laugh for the first time, how healing that is, especially when you can share it with someone. And so just that, that level of, of deep soul healing often comes with, a friend or a family member who's able to just be with you without trying to fix the problem. And um, we see that, uh, we see Jesus act in that way, which makes sense why we crave that, why we long for it as humans, because we're made in the image of God. And so in Ecclesiastes chapter three, I want to start us there in the scriptures. In Ecclesiastes three, 
uh, this famous passage uh, in, the, in Ecclesiastes, a book of wisdom, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, there's a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. All of these things are important. Weeping, laughing, mourning, dancing. As humans, we're called to the fullness of these, uh, these emotions, and there's a time, an appropriate time and place for each of them. In Romans 12, uh, 15, the Apostle Paul, maybe he was meditating on Ecclesiastes 3 when he wrote this, but he says it almost verbatim. He says, rejoice. He's writing to the church in Rome, to Christians. He's saying, you need to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. You need to mourn with those who are mourning or grieve with those who grieve. Rejoice, celebrate with those who are celebrating. Grieve with those who are grieving. Weep with those who are weeping. For everything, there's a season, a time to dance, and a time to weep, a time to celebrate, and a time to mourn. So I want to look at the story of John 11, when Jesus uh, weeps over his good friend, Lazarus. But I don't want to just point out that verse as I'm reading through this passage, and it's a, a little bit of a lengthy passage, so this will take the rest of our time today. But as I'm reading over this passage, I want to invite you to uh, take note of each time there's an emotive word, especially when it's describing what Jesus felt, how Jesus felt, how Jesus felt about Mary and Martha, how he felt about Lazarus, how he felt about the whole situation. Notice how much emotion uh, that that John captures in Jesus and that culminates in the famous uh, moment when Jesus weeps over his friend. So John chapter 11, starting in verse one, it says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus, the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you. And yet you're going back. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by the world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So when they, when he told them, so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, he went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. 
Lord Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly he got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was as deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes, and let him go. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. For everything there is a season, a time to dance and a time to weep. Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, understands this better, more fully, more comprehensively than anyone. And he knows how to weep and he knows how to mourn and he knows how to grieve for you and with you and to relate to you in that way. And just as he loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha, he loves you with the same passionate love. So what does it mean to you to have a God who is so intimately interested in your life? Your life is not boring to him. Your life is not an inconvenience to him or a problem to him. He sees you. He knows you. He created you. He loves you. What does it mean to you to have a God so intimately interested in your life? How do you personally receive God's desire to be in close friendship and relationship with you? Is it difficult for you? Is it as natural as breathing? What's it like to have God love you to the point where he weeps with you in your pain? And finally, who can you offer the gift of relating to today? Whether you're naturally a person who wants to avoid grief because it's uncomfortable, maybe there's a friend in your life who just needs you to sit quietly with them in their pain, give them a phone call and just listen. Maybe you're a person who's more pessimistic naturally and you have a hard time celebrating because you see the pain in life uh, and you feel it so acutely. 
maybe God wants to invite you to laugh today and to laugh with a close friend or a family member and offer that as a gift. Who can you offer the gift of relating to today just as God relates to you? We have a God who uh, is righteous and good and holy and all-powerful, and he also, uh, despite his power and authority, he gets down into our lives. He relates to us, and this is his desire. God relates, and he weeps. What does it mean to relate to a God as he relates to us? I hope today's teaching has been encouraging to you, uh, especially as we took a few moments to look at the story of Jesus's love for Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And I hope that you know that Jesus loves you in the same way. Thanks for joining us today. Have a great day. Go with God.